Hi, and welcome to Nightlight. So nice to be with you once again. If you're a long-time listener to this program, you know that you never quite know what kind of show the next Nightlight show is going to be, and today's show is no exception. On our last program, Melvin taught an awesome class on the power for healing and other miracles, and we talked about some of the great revivals of the early 20th century, in particular, the Azusa Street Revival. You can search for it on YouTube, as I did, and find a number of documentaries on what is considered one of the greatest revivals of all time. Now, on the show today, I'm going to share with you one of the accounts of the miracles that happened at Azusa Street, as told by Dr. Elizabeth Vaughan. And this is the first episode in her excellent Glory Stories series, which I'll tell you more about after you hear this amazing testimony. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Welcome to Glory Stories. I'm going to share with you today a great revival that started in America around 1906 with a man who only had one eye, but he had such a passion to know God in a more intimate way. Actually, he spent five hours a day for two and a half years every day praying to God, seeking God, trying to draw closer to God. There was a man named Charles Parham who came to Houston. That's where... Seymour was, was in Houston, Texas. Charles Parham came there to start a Bible school, and he, he had become familiar with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which was very unusual at that point in time. And Seymour was hungry to know more about that. He wanted to more, be more, know more about God in every way he could. So he sat outside the room where Parham was teaching about the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and he learned all about it. And about that time, there was a, a, a church in Los Angeles area that contacted Seymour and asked him to come be their pastor. So he prayed about it, and he felt like that was what God wanted him to do. So he leaves Houston. He goes to Los Angeles. And when he gets there, he goes to this church and begins preaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, they weren't too happy about that in that particular congregation. And so... It wasn't long until they put a padlock on the door. He came that night to preach in church, and the door was padlocked, and he was, he was not welcome in that church anymore. So there he was in Los Angeles, and now he didn't have a church anymore. But there were some people in that church that had compassion on him and said, well, you can come stay in our home, and you can start a, a prayer meeting in our home. So he did. And the Spirit of God was so powerful there such wonderful things happen. I remember one lady who didn't know how to play the piano at all. Uh, one night she sat down to the piano and started playing and singing the piano just like she'd had lessons all of her life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, those are phenomenal miracles that God just does. And so things started happening. Things started happening and people got wind of it. More people started coming to this home and pretty soon there were crowds out in the in the front yard and even into the sidewalks and the authorities said you can't continue having these meetings here because you're far too big to stay here anymore. Well Seymour was still seeking more of God and he asked the Lord one day he said what can I do to seek you in a more fervent way and God said pray more. Well remember he's already praying five hours a day 
So he ups his prayer time to seven hours a day. Do you know anybody else that's praying seven hours a day? <laughs> I don't. Anyway, that's what Seymour did. And so Seymour starts asking the Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do? You're gonna, and they said, you're going to have to find another place. So he starts looking for another place to have meetings. And he found an old warehouse, which had also been a stable, and that was for rent. He thought he might be able to make that into a facility that was adequate, but he didn't have the money to rent it. So he asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? I need the money to rent this facility. The Lord said, get on a streetcar, go to Pasadena. So that night he got on a streetcar, he headed to Pasadena. He, of course, he didn't know where he was going. He had no idea, but he was obeying the Lord one step at a time. He got on the streetcar, headed to Pasadena, and when he got to the right place, the Lord told him, he said, get off the streetcar here. He directed him to go to some apartments that were nearby and to go to a certain apartment door. Now, what he didn't know was inside that apartment door was a, a small group of women. They'd been praying for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. One of them had it, a lady named Sister Carney had the baptism already, but the rest of them were praying for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And they were, that day they had spent many hours praying specifically for revival. So he knocks on the door. He doesn't know what's inside. He knocks on the door. Of course, these women, it's now 1030 at night. Somebody knocking on your door, they all go to the door at the same time. It's kind of scary. They go to the door all together. They open the door, and here's this man standing here. He said, you've been praying for revival, haven't you? They said, well, yes, we have. He said, I'm the man that God sent to preach the revival. So they ask him to come in. He comes in. He preaches to them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, about revival. He preaches to them there in that apartment that night. Then he takes up an offering. And the amount of offering that he got was enough to pay the rent on Azusa Street. So he rents Azusa Street. Of course, having, having been a stable, you know what stables have in them. Uh, Sister Carney, who went with him uh, and helped in Azusa Street, she said how grateful she was that Seymour had assigned her to the area to clean up where there were small goats instead of the area where the large cattle and horses were. So her cleanup job in the stable was a little easier than some other people. She was grateful for that. So they cleaned it all out, and they began meetings there in April of 1906. Now I want to read you something that kind of describes what a typical meeting would be like. In Azusa Street, the beginning of one of the greatest revivals the world has ever known. The meetings were spontaneous with no prearranged order, no special singing, no well-known evangelists, no collections, no advertisements, no church organization backing them. Now, have you ever been to a church like that before? Mm, probably not. Probably not. The Holy Ghost was in control. Seymour was the leader. He spent most of his time behind the pulpit with his head in a box, praying and waiting on the Lord. Did you hear that? With his head in a box, praying praying in tongues, and waiting on the Lord to tell him what to do, what to say. God began to manifest his power, and the meeting would continue all day long and into the night. When well-dressed preachers came in to, quote, investigate, conviction, conviction would soon fall on them, and they'd soon, soon be wallowing on the floor asking God to forgive them. In a typical service, someone would be talking, and suddenly the Spirit would fall on the congregation. 
God himself would give the altar call. Men would fall all over the house like the slain in battle or rush to the altar to seek God. The building was always full of people praying and services usually began mid-morning and continued till about 3 or 4 a.m. Did you hear that? Started mid-morning, continued to 3 or 4 a.m. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I have some more I want to read to you again in a little while, but right now I'm going to stop right there. Because so many miracles happened in Azusa Street, and I wanted to tell you about some of those. As we already read, when the meetings would start, Seymour would come out and he would put this box over his head, and he would simply pray and wait on God. Many people with all kinds of problems would come. Thousands and thousands of people would come from everywhere, actually everywhere in the world, because people that were hungry for God would flock to wherever revival was going on, and revival was definitely going on in Razusa Street. So I'm going to tell you of a few of the things that happened. In one instance, there was a, a young boy. His parents carried him in because he had had a, a, a brain hemorrhage, and he couldn't, he t couldn't even think or understand or move, or he just was like a, kind of like a vegetable from the brain hemorrhage. And he came there for prayer. And one of the young men, I think the young man was uh, one of the musicians. That, 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 uh, there, was an, there was a man who played the piano, and there was a violinist that came along with time. And one of those men prayed for this young man with a brain hemorrhage, and God immediately, he'd had the brain hemorrhage like four or five years before that. Immediately, this whole, everything that was wrong with him, God healed it spontaneously, immediately, and he got up and he just, just started running around and praising God that he was now well. That's the kind of thing that happened routinely every day, not just once a day, but all kinds of miracles all day, every day. Another thing that happened was uh, there was a particular man there named Bill Brown who, who loved to pray for people with eye problems. And so he prayed for like over 50 people that were blind people and could suddenly see by the power of God. Uh, when they asked him, could he remember a special, a special one that meant something special to him? He recounted a woman that came in with, she didn't, even, she didn't have any whites to her eyes. She was totally blind and her eyes were just black. The whites never had developed. And when he prayed for her, God spontaneously healed her eyes, gave her whites to the eyes, and she could see. And the reason he remembered her is because she screamed, because she'd never seen anything before in her life. And now she could see everything and light and people. And she was so shocked by seeing the world that she screamed, and it scared him. It scared him, and so he, re he remembered that woman because she scared him. But over and over things like that happened. Even when that man was an elderly man and he was in a retirement home and Azusa Street was long gone, he still had this gift of, of praying for people that had blind eyes. So one day they brought to him an older woman who had blindness in her eyes. She had one of those canes, you know, that blind people have. They tap along the sidewalk or wherever and they go. And, and he took the first thing he did, he took that cane and he broke it in half. Now, does that tell you that he's expecting the woman to see? To me, that's a real strong sign of faith when you take the lady's cane and you break it in half before you even pray. He took her glasses off, dark glasses. He prays the prayer of faith for the woman, and Jesus makes the woman see instantly, spontaneously, beautifully. So he had that to follow him, a gift all of his life. There's another man named Fox, 
and he had a particular interest in ears and he would go to a deaf person and he would just whisper in their ear and he would say uh, spirit of deafness leave this person now in Jesus name and the and he would hear like a, a whistle, a whoosh kind of a sound or a popping sound. And that would indicate to him that that spirit of deafness was gone and the person could hear. And this happened over and over. He was only 18 years old when he came to Azusa Street. And he came there because he wanted to prepare for a missionary, uh, a life of being a missionary in, in India. Uh, one day, a man who was the teacher of a, of a sign language class, you know, sign language for people that are deaf, you know what I'm talking about, sign language. He brought 35 of his students to Azusa Street. So Fox sees these 35 deaf people and he says, you know, why did you bring them here? He said, you're going to be out of a job because they won't need to know sign language when God finishes with him. And, and the, the instructor says, you're, you're talking like you think every one of these persons is going to be healed and made to hear. And Fox says, yes, I expect that to happen. So he had them all stand in a circle and, and join hands. Remember, they're deaf. All of them are deaf. He goes to the first person in the circle. He whispers in their ear, You deaf spirit, I command you in Jesus' name, leave this person now. Whoosh. Person's, the deaf spirit leaves. The person can hear. The other people in the circle see that this man can now hear. And they all get excited, and that healing virtue of Jesus starts going through every one of those people in the circle, and they all start. He didn't have to pray for another one of them. It went through the whole circle, circle, and all 35 of them all received their healing all at the same time. Guess what happened to their instructor? He didn't have a job anymore. God healed every single one of the deaf people that he brought that day to the meeting. So... Another time, a lady came in, she was crying and screaming with pain, and she had a bloody towel over, one, over her ear. They didn't know what had happened to this woman, and, and so one of the ladies came, and she took the towel down, and there was no ear. There was no ear. It was just bloody, a bloody mess right there, no ear, you know, external ear. So she, she says, what in the world happened to you? You have no ear. She said that she came home. People, some kind of people. She came home and she found another woman in bed with her husband. And so the woman in bed starts fighting with the wife. This was the wife that came in like this. She starts fighting with the wife and she bites the woman's ear off. She bites the wife's ear off. So the person at Azusa Street says, did you bring your ear with you? She says, oh no, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I just came straight here. So the woman at Azusa Street puts her hand over this bloody mess and prays and asks God to give this woman a new ear. And when she takes her hand away, there's a brand new ear there that God grew. Just like this, a brand new ear. I'm giving you some examples of the kind of miracles that God did at Azusa Street. And you know what? Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that gave that lady an ear, the same Jesus that made 35 deaf people here at the same time, he's here today, and he's ready and able to do the same for you. He is alive. Yes, they crucified Jesus, but he res was resurrected from the dead, and he is alive today. 
He was alive as Azusa Street doing that. He's alive today there for you. So if you cry out to Jesus, no matter what physical infirmity you have, he has ears to hear you. He's waiting for you to cry out his name and to ask him, believing him, that what you ask for, you will get, just like the people that came to Azusa Street. What they came for, they got it from the Lord. He's there, able to do that for you, and wants to do that for you today. Well, another time, a lady came in, and, and she had a great, huge mess hanging off the side of her face, the size of a half of a basketball is the way they described it. And she was holding it. She was holding it with her hand, and she had a child with her. And she came there because it was hopeless. The doctors had told her it was way too big for them to try to take it off surgically. So she decided to come to Azusa Street. So she's holding this great mass off of her face and, and ask for someone to pray for her. And they, so they pray that God will take this mass away. And just in front of all their eyes, it just, it just, it just dissolves. It goes away. This huge mass, it just goes away. goes away. How about that? Many wonderful things happen. Now sometimes, not all the time, but on special, at special times, there would be fire that would shoot up from the ceiling of the Azusa Street building. There would be fire that would shoot down from heaven and, and they would meet in the air and the fire department would get called because there's fire. they thought there's really fire in Azusa Street. The fire, firemen would come, they'd come rushing in with all their paraphernalia on. There would be no flames anywhere. There'd be no smoke anywhere. But yet, they, you know, you could go outside and lots of the men went outside and looked and there were, there were, you could see it. There were flames shooting up from the ceiling, from the roof of the building, and, and flames shooting down from heaven and meeting in the middle. It was a supernatural phenomenon. But when that did happen, the miracles in Azusa Street were augmented. They were greater. They were more astonishing than all the ones I've already told you about. When the fire was shooting, two things that happened that I recall when the fire was shooting. One was a man that was there who had had an industrial accident and his entire arm had been removed. He had no arm whatsoever. Now back in those days, we're talking 1906, 1907, they didn't have good prosthesis, so whatever he had was just hanging there, useless to him. And Seymour was there and he asked the man, can you, can you work? Can you support your family? He said, well, I really can't do much work with just one hand and I just do the best I can and we're barely getting along. And so Seymour says, well, God can solve that for you. He, he can solve that. And so Seymour prays that God will give this man a new arm and they're all standing there and they watch with their eyes, not, not just Seymour alone watching, but a, you know, a group of people there watching this. As the bone begins to grow out of the shoulder socket and behind the bone starts to grow flesh behind that, muscles, skin, tendons, everything, the whole arms con continues to grow and grow and then they watch the hand grows, the fingers grow out, fingernails grow out and he has a perfectly normal, 100% normal arm and hand just like the other arm. This happened while the fire was shooting out of Azusa Street. Uh, phenomenal. Another man was there also at a time when the fire was happening. And this man had been a, a chronic smoker. He had a cigar that he always just kept in the side of his mouth for years and years and years. He kept that cigar in the side of his mouth. With time, 
that cigar had caused cancer in the tissue. And the cancer had eaten off a lot of his cheek, his jaw, his lips, had eaten into his gums and his teeth. And he had basically a great big hole in the side of his face with all of those parts of his anatomy missing. While the fire was shooting, they prayed for this man. And God created all new teeth in there, all new gums in there, a new cheek, new lips, and the whole side of the man's face was completely healed of cancer. It was like black and rotting flesh and cancerous, and God just healed it and made it perfect, made it perfect. There was, there was one lady named Sister Carney. She's the one that was in the apartment that helped provide the original funds for Azusa Street. She, was, she specialized in people that were in wheelchairs. So that she would always, when, they saw, when she saw someone in a wheelchair, she would go to the wheelchair, she would take the, the uh, foot plates of the wheelchair and lift them up and put their feet on the floor. This is when they were still paralyzed. Put their feet on the floor. And then she would pray for them because she knew that God was going to heal them and they were going to walk and that those foot plates would be in the way. So she got them out of the way in, in the very beginning. And then she would pray. And then the people would stand up and they would walk. This happened to everybody she ever prayed for in a wheelchair. And of course, the other people at Azusa Street, they saw her always lifting the foot pedal. So when they prayed with someone in a wheelchair, they too would lift the foot pedal. They call it the Carney rule, that you always had to lift the foot pedals before you prayed for someone that was in a wheelchair. So many people got healed from wheelchairs. Now, on occasion, when Seymour had the box over his head and he'd been praying sometimes for a short period, sometimes for an hour or more than an hour with the box on his head. And when he heard from God and he took off the box, sometime he would speak to a, an area that had cots that were brought from the hospital, people that were in terminal stages of diseases that were dying that had to be carried in on, on cots, other people in wheelchairs. And Seymour would say, Something like this. Every one of you that's on a cot or in a wheelchair, you stand up now and take your bed and just go on home because you're healed in Jesus' name. And the whole section that was in Azusa Street that were in cots and wheelchairs would all rise up and they would all be well and they would all go home wherever they went. They would all leave well, completely healed by the power of God. So you see why I say that this was one of the strongest revivals and most amazing miraculous revivals that the world had ever seen. Uh, in fact, a lot of people that ended up being well-known, like John G. Lake, we'll talk about him later, but it was advised that he go to Azusa Street and others like him that wanted to be in full-time ministry, that they go to Azusa Street and, 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 and try to you know, acquire that anointing that was there so that they could go on with the, with the ministry that they had. Uh, something very interesting happened. In the fall of, of 1909, Seymour stopped taking that box off, uh, putting the box on his head. He stopped doing that. Simultaneous with that, Azusa Street pretty much dwindled dwindled down and the flame of the fire of Azusa Street started dwindling down and but 
three people made a prophecy around the end of 2009, the beginning of 2010. They made a prophecy in different parts of the United States. And keep in mind, this is a time when you didn't have cell phones and communication. Uh, if you were on the East Coast, you didn't know what the West Coast was doing or vice versa. You had, you had no way of instant communication. So Seymour stood up, and on more than one occasion, he's, he prophesied that in about 100 years, there would, re, there would be a revival that would be greater than the day of Pentecost, that would be greater than Azusa Street. And this revival would just not be in one place, though. It would be in many places. It would break out in many places worldwide, and that it would even continue, the revival would continue until the return of Jesus Christ. Powerful in about 100 years. Remember, that was around uh, 1910. Simultaneous with this, on the East Coast in New York was Charles Parham. And he stood up there, and he gave a prophetic word that was essentially the same as what Seymour had said in Los Angeles. And about this same time, Maria Woodworth Eder, which is another famous servant of God, and I'll tell you about her later too, but Maria Woodworth Eder stood up in San Diego, I believe, where she was, and she gave the a similar, you know, saying the same thing, prophetic word, about a greater revival would break out. It would be greater than Azusa Street, be greater than Day of Pentecost. It would break out in places all over the world, not just one place, and it would last until the coming of Jesus Christ. So in this day that we're living in now, this is a approximately a hundred years after those prophetic words were given. So we, we're, we're looking for that. We're waiting for that. We're expecting that, really. We're expecting, you know, God spoke to me a long time ago, and he said, he said the word groundswell. I had to go look up what groundswell meant. And that's been so many years ago, I don't know if I can remember exactly what Webster said, but it said something like there was a swelling, uh, a, a tumult in the sea, and it would cause waves to come up. Now, you know, now we would just call it a tsunami. Okay, let's just say a tsunami. And I saw a tsunami of the Holy Spirit that would hit America and cross America. I'm sure it'll go at other countries too, but a tsunami of the Holy Spirit. Because really, in this day and time, with the world situation like it is, I'm telling you the truth. There's no world power that's going to be the answer. There's no president of a country that's going to be the answer. There's no great person that's going to be the answer. The only answer is going to be Jesus Christ. The only answer is going to be God Almighty sending a great tsunami, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not only across America, but across the other nations that are in turmoil, turmoil, total disruption and turmoil and darkness, nothing short of the powerful move of God is going to bring light into that dark, the dark areas of the world. Nothing, nothing. You want to hear the truth? I'm telling you the truth. There's nothing but God. So if you have, if you have any sense at all, you should run. You, I'm talking to you. You should run to the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ today. You should ask him to forgive you for whatever sins you have in your life, 
It's called repenting. You repent. It means that you, you are sorry that you did those sins. It means you're going to make an about face. And instead of heading in the wrong direction, you turn around and you head in the right direction, in the direction toward God and godliness. You begin to read your Bible. You begin to pray. Praying, what is praying? Praying is simply talking to God, just like you'd talk to your friend or your family member. You simply talk to God, and you know what? He wants to talk back to you. He wants to talk back to you. And then don't neglect assembling of yourselves together with other Christians because the fire of one Christian keeps the fire of another Christian hot. You don't want to be isolated if you can possibly avoid it. So if you'll make that repentance today and take Jesus as your Savior, you will be on the, on the right road that's going to head you to heaven. When your day comes, you'll be headed toward heaven, and God will have a mansion up there for you. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. And the people that have gone before you, that have loved the Lord, they'll be up there to meet you, and you'll recognize them. You'll know your whoever, your friends, your parents. We look forward to seeing you there. Inspiring you to love and serve Jesus more. You're listening to Night Light. Wow. Didn't that get you just so excited? Those prophecies that there would be an even greater revival around 100 years from then, which is about now, and that it would sweep the whole world and last up until the second coming of Jesus. I came across Dr. Elizabeth Vaughan's Glory Story channel on YouTube. I won't say by accident, as I know it was the Lord who directed the YouTube algorithm to recommend it to me. Dr. Vaughan is one of America's top eye surgeons. She's also traveled the world as an evangelist, particularly in Africa and China. And in this series, she shares the miracle stories of people she has known personally or knows about. And I know that listening to these stories will greatly strengthen and inspire your faith that God can literally do anything in answer to prayer. So the show today is just to introduce you to Glory Stories. There's about 30 of them, and you can search on YouTube and enjoy them yourself. Well, I'll share with you just one more, and this will inspire you not only for faith, for miraculous healing, but also to step out by faith and obey the Lord, even if it seems absolutely crazy and impossible what he's asking you to do. It's the story of John G. Lake. Shining Love's Light. You're listening to Nightlight. Hello and welcome to Glory Stories. We're going to talk about a very famous man of God today named John G. Lake. You probably don't know this, but he was born into a family of 16 children. He really had kind of a sad and traumatic young manhood and childhood because out of the members of his family, like eight of them died. Out of the 16 siblings, eight of them died of diseases. And for 32 years, there was someone in the family, in the household, that was an invalid. Well, he had, he had a brother that had been an invalid for 22 years. And he was really uh, dying of blood that was going out of his kidney. And they didn't, they didn't know what to do about it. So he was an invalid for 22 years. His father had spent all the money that he had on trying to, 
to find some cure for this and taking the, the young man everywhere, and nobody could seem to figure out any kind of solution. Finally, they took him to a healing home. That's what they called it, a healing home, where prayer could be offered for the young man, and hands would be laid on him in the name of Jesus Christ, and prayer would be made for him. They took him to that healing home, and those people believed in the Word of God. One of the things that Jesus told us, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with other tongues, and one of the things, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what Jesus said. So these people in this healing home believe that. They, could lay, they laid hands on him, they prayed a prayer of faith, and the young man received instant healing after being an invalid for 22 years. Well, they also had a sister that had had breast, or had breast cancer, and she was in a terminal state. She'd had five, cancer, five surgeries done for this breast cancer. She still had a large black tumor and, five, and four or five other smaller tumors, and they couldn't do anything more for her. They had told her that she just might as well go home and die. So they took the sister to this healing home, and, and they had to take her there on a stretcher because she couldn't even walk. She was, she was terminally ill. So they took her on a stretcher. She listened to the, to the people preaching about Jesus. She listened to the preaching about, uh, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 says that, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. And she, she received those healing scriptures into herself, and, and her hope was, was elevated that Jesus would do something for her. So when it could, could, took time and they laid hands on her, they prayed the prayer of faith, and she was anxious to receive what Jesus had for her, so she received her healing. And a few days after that, uh, this one big black cancer just fell off of her, and the smaller ones disappeared, and she was totally and absolutely healed of the incurable breast cancer. Well, they had a third sister that had an issue of blood, and she'd had it for a long time. And one day they called them, and they said, if you want to see your sister alive, you better come over here right away. By the time they got over to the sister's house, she was a married woman already gone from home. By the time they got to the sister's house, she was already dead. And here's her husband standing at the foot of her bed, looking at his dead wife. Their baby is over in a crib by the side of the bed. And John G. Lake looks at that. And he really gets, he really gets mad. <laughs> he gets mad at the devil. And he calls and telegraphs and calls a few of his friends. And he says, you know, put your faith with mine. And I'm going to pray for my sister. Believe God with me that God will raise her from the dead. So the ones that he called plus John G. Lake. And he, he rebuked the deadness that was in his sister in the name of Jesus. And asked God to heal her and raise her up. And sure enough, she came right back to life again by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, so he saw, he saw then the power of God. And, you know, not only were his siblings dying and God raised them up, but his wife was also in a terminal state. She had heart disease. She had tuberculosis. She'd had these things for a number of years, and her, her, her health was failing and failing and failing. And now she was on, on the deathbed herself. And, and uh, a, a, a fellow minister came to see his wife, and the minister told John G. Lake, he said, just, just give it up, brother. Just, just let her go. She's going to die. That's what the minister told John G. Lake. 
And John D. Lake, you know, he was really offended by that. He thought that that was just a, an offense to God to, to say, just let her go, let her die, and not to even give God an opportunity to raise her, raise her up. So what he did, he went home, he threw his Bible down on the tabletop, and it opened, the Bible automatically opened to a scripture. It's Acts 10.38, and it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Well, it was like a, a revelation to him, because the scripture said Jesus went around doing good and healing everybody. And then it turns around and says, that Satan was the one who caused the illness and the oppression on the people. So it dawns on him that that's the reason Jesus, one of the primary reasons Jesus was sent was to, to get rid of sickness and disease. That's what Jesus was trying to do. Meanwhile, the devil, Satan, was trying to put sickness and disease on the people. And he went to another scripture, which I'm going to read for you. He went to both of these scriptures. Uh, th the first one I just told you was one that his Bible just fell open to that, but then he remembered this one and started reading this one. <clears throat> this is out of Luke, the 13th chapter. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who ha had been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was un unable to stand straight. Now, did you hear what I just read? That she'd been crippled by an evil spirit. Other, other versions, I'm reading to you out of New Living Translation. King James says, a spirit of infirmity, and Amplified says, a demon of sickness. But uh, w without a doubt, it's these demons or evil spirits or spirit of infirmity, whatever you want to call it, it's a, it's a demon from hell. In other words, Satan was the cause of this woman being bent double for 18 years. Okay, so when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised and thanked God. So after 18 years of being bent double, I've seen patients like that before, and they really do. They, the top of their body, I, I had a, a man, and the top of his body was bent at a 90-degree angle from the rest of his body, and it, it, it is debilitating. You can imagine you sit down and your, your face is toward the floor. You, you, you know, it's a terrible thing. So then the ruler of the synagogue got very angry with, with Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus says, You hypocrite, you work on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox and your donkey from the stalls on the Sabbath and lead them out for water? Wasn't it necessary for me, even on the Sabbath day, to free this dear woman from the bondage in which Satan had bound her for 18 years? So, you know, John G. Lake read that and read the, what I just told you a minute ago <clears throat> out of Acts 10.38. And he realized that it was extremely clear from the word of God that the illness in everybody including his wife that was on the deathbed, that those illnesses came from Satan and it made, him, it made him really mad that Satan had already killed eight of his siblings already. And it also made him mad that the, the church that he was in had taught them diligently that the day of miracles had passed away, when obviously that's not true. He said that the devil had 
prompted the church to teach that false doctrine that miracles had passed away. Listen, Jesus Christ is still here today and the same today as he was when he healed that woman right there that was bent double for 18 years. Jesus Christ is just the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Miracles haven't gone away. Jesus is alive today. He's alive today. Just because you can't see him with your eyes doesn't mean he's not alive. He is very alive. He is very well. And he can heal whoever calls upon the name of Jesus. It's a fact. I've seen it in my own life. I've told you glory stories about people that I've personally seen that Jesus has healed in this day and time. So if you need something from Jesus, don't hesitate to call out to him. He is a God of miracles. He is alive. He's right there where you are. And he would be happy for you to call out to him. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. So John, John G. Lake saw that. And so he's, he, he, he calls those same people on the phone and telegraphs them. And he says, tomorrow morning at 930, would you please join me? I'm going to pray for my wife to be healed. And so those people got their telegrams and telephone calls. They joined him at 930 next morning. John G. Lake kneeled at the bedside of his dying wife. And he, he laid hands on her and he asked God to, to get rid of all of her illness and disease and to raise her up. And suddenly her heart started beating right where she, before she'd had such heart irregularities that she'd pass out. She'd pass out on the floor. She'd pass out on the bed. Wherever she, she'd just pass out because her heart stopped beating. But now her heart start, stopped, started beating correctly. The tuberculosis in her lungs was gone. She starts breathing normally. The paralysis that she had, had went away, and, and, and suddenly she just threw the bed sheets off of her. She was in the bed. She threw the bed sheets off. She jumped up out of the bed, and she, and she starts shouting, I'm, I'm healed. Praise God. I'm healed. I'm healed. Well, the news that his wife was healed started spreading far and wide, and actually people started coming from all around America just to come to their home for them to lay hands on their sick people and be healed. So he, it, it really changed his life. He was a very affluent man. He did very, very well in business, John G. Lake did. But he, when he saw this healing power of God and how real God was, he quit his job and he joined another man in the ministry named Tom and they started having meetings and he saw God save people he saw God heal people. He saw God deliver people. He saw God baptize people in the Holy Ghost. And he decided that that's what he wanted to do the rest of his life was to serve God. So he, he actually he sold everything that he had. And he had nice things. He had a nice home and all the nice furnishings. He sold everything that he owned. And he gave it all away in a way that he felt would 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 honor the kingdom of God and he decided from this time forward I'm going to live by faith in Jesus Christ not in faith in any monetary goods that I have any any possessions that I have in the world I'm I'm he in other words he forced himself on purpose into a position where he would have to rely on Jesus Christ 100% for everything all the time now he and his ministry partner Tom well, he got a word from God that in the spring, God was going to send me to Africa. So he and his, his ministry partner, Tom, start praying about this. When about February rolled around, Tom came to him and he said, how much is it going to cost for us to go to Africa? Because Tom and his family, plus John G. Lake and his family, were going to go those 
families together to Africa. He said, how much is it going to cost? John G. Lake said, it's going to cost $2,000, which right now seems like a small amount to take all of those people to Africa. But that back then, that was an enormous amount of money. And so Tom said, okay, I'll pray about it. They prayed about it together. And Tom prayed about it. And, Tom, and the Lord told Tom, he said, within four days, I'm going to give you $2,000. Pretty bold. But that's what God told Tom. So Tom came back to John G. Lake and he said, okay, we're going to have $2,000 within four days. That's what God told me. Four days later, Tom comes in. He throws something down on the table. And he said, <clears throat> I just received this from the mail. He said, there was a man in California who chooses to be anonymous. This man, he was at the bank. The man was at the bank. And God spoke to, the to him, spoke to him at the bank and said, I want you to take out four $5,000 pieces of, you know, I don't know what they had back then, but money. It was worth $500 a piece, four of those, and send it to Tom. So he did. He sent it to Tom. So Tom goes to the post office, and there he has $2,000 in the post office that day on the fourth day. So now they have their $2,000 to go to Africa. Well, so John G. Lake goes down, and he buys passage for all of those people to go to Africa with the $2,000. And when he finishes that, remember, he's given away everything he has, all of his money, everything, everything, everything. When he pays the $2,000, he has $1.50 left to his name. To his name, that's how many, that's what he has, $1.50. Now, the whole sequence of events from there, I'm going to kind of read some of this to you because it is so phenomenal. I, I don't want to miss any monetary details here, but remember, he's starting off with $1.50. Okay, he had decided, and this was a, this was a comment of his <clears throat> that I think is priceless, and I, I kind of cling to this myself because he said, I am through forever. Listen to this. I am through forever with everything in life but proclaiming and demonstration, the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it to you. I'm through forever with everything in life but the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think that that's <clears throat> such a pertinent statement that John G. Lake made, and that, that was what he decided for the rest of his life. But you see, you could go to a lots of places, and you could probably hear the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how many places do you know that you can go and see the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does he mean, the demonstration? He's talking about the power feats that God does today, the power feats of Jesus Christ. How many places do you know where you can go and get healed? Do you know you'll go there and get healed? You know that you can go be delivered of alcoholism. You can be uh, delivered of drug addiction. You can be delivered of pornographic addiction. Any addiction you have, you can go there and be delivered. How many places do you know that? How many places do you know you can go and get the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Not many. And that's what he's talking about that he's forever through with everything else in life except the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To me, that's a very profound statement, and I, I, I'm, I'm taking that on myself for my life too, and I hope that many of you also do the same. If you're a Christian today, you should take this on as a goal for the rest of your life. If you're not a Christian today, this is a good time for you to get straightened out with God 
And the way you do it is you, you repent. The word repent means that you go to the Lord and you say, you know, I'm sorry for the way that I've been living. And I, I, I ask you to forgive me. Wipe me clean in the blood of Jesus. Forgive me. Give me a brand new start. And I, want, I take Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior of my life. And I want to serve you with the rest of my life. And then you are a Christian. He's so glad to take you. He takes you into his arms and he holds you from then on. You're his child. He takes care of you. He provides for you. He protects you. He talks with you. He loves you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. So you can do that in a moment's time. So then you are a Christian. So now if you're a Christian, start doing this. Take forever. The, what you want to do is the, the declaration and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ the rest of your life. Okay, so here we are. He's paid $2,000 for voyage to, or transportation and voyage to Africa. And he now has $1.50 left. Okay, he knows that he's going to need a whole lot more than that. And so he's relying on God to supply it. Uh, as the train, he, the, the group gets on a train to start going to the east coast of America where they can then get a ship and go to Africa. So they get on the train, and as they get on the train, one of his former employees comes and throws in $2. $2. So now John G. Lake has $3.50 to start this voyage, start this trip. Okay, so the, he has along with him a young lady named Winnie who worked for him. And, and they were going to take Winnie on the train as far as Detroit. When they get to Detroit, then he needs $10 to pay Winnie's train fare from Detroit to wherever she's going, which he didn't have $10. So, you know what he and his wife usually did? They always did this, actually. They would take whatever need that they had, they would take it to God. They wouldn't tell anybody else about the need. They would just simply take it to the Lord and trust him to supply their need. So when they get to Detroit, some of Lake's family members were there and come to the train to meet him. And, and John Lake's younger brother was there and he takes him aside and he puts, he puts something in John's pocket and, and blesses him with it. And John G. Lake looks at what it is, a $10 bill. So he takes the $10 bill, which is exactly what he needed. He needed $10 to buy Winnie's train fare. He takes it and buys her train fare. And so Winnie goes on. So he still has now $3.50 to start the rest of this trip to Africa. Can you imagine this? He, he has seven children and a, and a wife and himself. That's nine people. And he has $3.50. Ugh, amazing. I just want you to see how amazing this is. So, <clears throat> when they arrive at the ship, oh no, one other thing. On the train, he spent some money to buy beans and some other food for his children, for his family. When he did that, he had a dollar and 25 cents left. <clears throat> so when they reach the ship, or where the ship's going to be in London, he has a dollar and 25 cents. Okay, so... The, the day before the ship was going to leave, I don't know how this works exactly, but he gave 50 cents of it to what he says is the table steward and 50 cents to the bedroom steward. And so when he arrived in England, all he had left was 25 cents. 25 cents. Do you understand the man has 25 cents seven children and a wife and himself to take care of. So his wife comes to him and she says, 
John, we have a lot of laundry. You can imagine the laundry they had, all those kids. She says, we have laundry to do. What should I, what should I do about the laundry? He says, well, just go on and send it out to, to the laundry, and we'll, we'll believe God for whatever it costs to pay for the laundry. Because all he has is 25 cents. So she takes it to the laundry. And the night before they leave on the final ship, the night before, she, she's thinking about the laundry. She knows John does not have the money to pay for the laundry. So she prays herself, by herself. And she asks the Lord to supply the need. She's, and so the Lord prompts her to go to the laundry and find out how much it's going to cost. So she goes. The laundry says it's going to be $1.65. All John has is 25 cents. The laundry is going to be $1.65. So she said, okay. So she starts walking back to the hotel where they were staying. On the way back, a man on the street, a stranger on the street, stops her. And he says, excuse me, ma'am, but I just feel like I should give you this. And he gives her a lot of change, some change. So she takes the change in her hand. She takes it back to the laundry. She starts counting out the change the man had given her. Guess how much? I know you can guess. $1.65 in change. So she pays the laundry. She takes the laundry back to the hotel, and now they leave the next morning on the boat. So that night, she tells, she tells her husband, she says, John, what, what are you, you going to do about the laundry? He says, oh, my goodness, I forgot all about the laundry. She says, well, don't worry about it. God's taking care of it already. <laughs> That's the kind of wife you want, isn't it, guys? <laughs> she takes care of those kind of things. When you forget all about it, she still takes care of it. <laughs> I think it's a fabulous story. Okay, so now... The next morning, they board their ship for South Africa. He has 25 cents. Remember, he has 25 cents. So they stop at the Canary Islands on the way to Africa, and he takes the 25 cents he has left, and he buys some fruit for his children. Now he has nothing left, zero, <laughs> zero. He has zero. And he knows that when he gets to Cape Town, South Africa, they are going to require of him to show that he has $125 in order to get an entry permit to come into the country. He has to prove to them that he has $125. When he has zero, he has zero. So his wife says, well, John, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He says, well, I'm going to go get in the line, and, you know, I'm going to go get in the line of everybody else paying their $125, and and, uh, you know, I'm just going to go get in the line and see what God will do. He says, we've trusted him this far. He's never let us down this far. So we'll just trust him to take care of this. So he goes and stands in the line with all the other men. And, and one of the other passengers on the, on the, on the boat, they, they, he comes up, he taps John on the shoulder. He says, could I speak to you a minute? So he takes him over to the, you know, the rail on the, on the ship. And he said, could you tell me a little bit about what you're doing? And so John G. Lake tells him that they're missionaries going to Africa and tells him a little about the ministry. And the man says, here, I just really feel like giving this to you. He gave John G. Lake $200. <laughs> so now he has the 125 to show the people that he has the money and he can get tickets to disembark off the, off the, the boat. Now listen to this. <laughs> this is so astounding to me. Here he is. He's come all this way with his big family. He has no place for them to stay when they get to South Africa, and they do not know anybody. It's not like they have a mission board sending them there or, you know, people supporting them from home, and they're going to get all this money every month. They have, they have nobody supporting them. They have, they have no mission board supporting them. They've gone just by faith. 
because God said he was going to send them there. So he, so now he, they, they get off the boat, and he has no place for his family to go, no transportation, no home, no nothing. And so this woman, they see an American woman scurrying around there on the dock area, and this woman comes up, and she speaks to Tom, his, his ministry partner, and she said, are you American missionary that, that's come here to Africa? Yes, yes, ma'am, I am. Well, how many members do you have in your family? He says, well, there's four of us. She said, is there anybody else in your, in your group with you? Yes, there's, uh, there's another man, uh, John G. Lake is with me, and he's right over there. So she goes over to him, uh, and, and she says, uh, how many are in your party? He said, well, I have nine children, uh, seven children and my wife and I, so there's nine of us in our party. She says, you're the ones that I'm looking for. She said, last night, the Lord told me to come to this dock today and that there would be an American missionary that he had sent to Africa. And, I, and that missionary was going to be nine people in his party, he and his wife and, and seven children. And, and the Lord told me to find you, nine members in your party, and to give my house to you to live in. So she gave her house to John G. Lake and his family. And by, that, by evening that night, they were in their own home, already furnished with everything they needed. And they didn't have, they had, remember, they, had, they came with, with nothing, just trusting in God. Well, you know, there's so much more to John G. Lake's life. And I just don't have time to tell you any more right now. So I'm going to have to tell you the rest later. But many, many miracles filled a man's life. Many healing miracles. And uh, he spent the rest of his life in Africa and in America, heal, watching God heal people of all kinds of diseases, saving their souls, baptizing with the Holy Spirit. This is a life that all of us should emulate, to walk by faith, not by sight, but 100% of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a challenge for me today. That's a challenge for you today. The Lord would like for you to pick up the challenge. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Well, I'll tell you more later. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. And if you want to hear part two of what happened after John G. Lake arrived in Africa and the miracles that happened as part of his ministry there, then you can search for Dr. Elizabeth Vaughan's Glory Stories series on YouTube and watch it for yourself, plus many more incredible faith-building miracle stories, which is just the kind of input we need to counteract all the fear and negativity and discouraging and even frightening news that we're exposed to every day. This dear lady recorded this series about three years ago, and she doesn't have the amount of views that these stories deserve. So let's do share them and give her channel a boost. I'll send out the links to those two stories that you just heard to my friends on WhatsApp. And if you'd like me to send you shows and devotionals twice a week by WhatsApp, and I send to you personally, you're not part of a group, then please send me your WhatsApp number to Simon Peterson 2008 at gmail.com. Or if you're on Telegraph, you can do the same. My email, simonpeterson2008 at 
gmail.com. Okay, well, that's it for this week. I have no idea what the show will be next week, but whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be a blessing and an inspiration to you. God bless you, and bye for now.